is going on, Nancy? Why are you calling me Nancy, John? Why are you calling me John? Nancy, pull yourself together before you make yourself and that kid nuts. John! What'd you call Robert? Robert? Robert England. You know, the guy who plays Freddy. Freddy who? Freddy Krueger! Nancy, Freddy's dead. Don't start losing it like your mother did. I love you, sweetheart. Don't forget that. I love you, too. I am back talking all things Nightmare on Elm Street with Kelly Goodner. Kelly, let's just jump right back into it. Sounds good. Now, we talked about Wes Craven doing the first one, Jack Shoulder doing the second one. You had Chuck Russell. These are, well, Craven was an established name. Uh, Jack had worked inside the New Line system. So that's, I think that's, and he had done some some good work. But what was happening now with Chuck Russell taking and Darabont is, New Line was constantly bringing in sort of new and up-and-coming talent. Mm-hmm. You know, they're working with very, very small budgets here. So I wonder if we could talk a little bit about Rennie Harland as a filmmaker, what you saw in part four, The Dream Master, and just your overall thoughts on, on Harland first. I am a huge Rennie Harland fan. I actually, I just watched uh, Deep Blue Sea the other day. I've been kind of on a shark and underwater monster kick and deep blue sea is like one of my favorites and Rennie harlan i think is someone who he is so distinctive and his movies are so fun that i think it's gonna kind of take it may take 30 years before the heat of the moment wears off and people understand how good they actually are because other people will have mimicked them and not done it as well but i think Rennie harlan is just wonderful and i i agree with you from flat statement <laughs> yeah oh no yeah yeah from, from from die hard 2 to cliffhanger which is i think i think long people, kiss good night yeah, I th- and 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 again people like when you're listing his great films you know people never mention you know the nightmare on elm street but it really was it did change the series a lot it is one i think one of the more interesting films in the series in for me in that it's where I sort of lost my fear of Freddy Krueger. Yeah. That was the film that I saw and was like, okay, so he's kind of a bit of a jokester. And, right. And, and this is not a knock on Rennie Harlan because I think the film is very well done. And I think it's a visually great looking Elm Street film. But at the same time, it's a contentious film for me in that even though I lost my fear of Freddy Krueger, 
I, I guess I was a little annoyed by that as well. Like I wanted to, I yeah. wanted to keep being afraid of him, and this film radically changed that for me. So, what are your thoughts on the Dream Master? Yeah, I mean, the Dream Master has, I would say, even though it's such an, even though I love Harlan, and even though it's such an important Freddy movie in. I guess I would say, I know this sounds crazy, but taking him mainstream in a way, yeah. like it kind of, this is the one where he became more of a Bugs Bunny, you know, where he, um, you would see diff- Freddy as different things more, you know, it's like land shark Freddy and, <laughs> you know, uh, nurse Freddy, things like that. You know, the soul pizza, like he became a little more cartoonish in this one, which I think. I think this is where it started to be more that he wasn't something whispered about. He would be more something where like you might have his picture on a shirt with him saying a catchphrase and, you know, and you would kind of think like, you know, he killed children. Like, I don't like it did become a strange thing. And yet it probably again made it more accessible to wider audiences. And, it was a little more of an MTV-ish time, maybe, you know, where the ante was being upped to do more teenish, cool set piece things. I don't know. You know, it like Freddie had definitely entered the entered the mainstream where not just horror fans would know about him or maybe want to see his movie. And I think that the Dream Master is it was kind of a everyone can join sort of movie, so, you know, like there's a karate, yeah. uh, you know, dojo dream kill. Like it, it's just kind of sillier. And yet, you know, I kind of like some of the fun dreams. Up until the release of 2003's Freddy versus Jason, this was Dream Master was the highest grossing in the entire franchise. And it was 1988 when this film was released and even at 10 years old, I can remember sort of the, the Freddy hysteria that was going on. He was doing mm-hmm. music videos with the Fat yeah, Boys. Yeah, this and, is the Fat Boys. I think that was like 87, maybe. Yeah, it, was, anyway, it, was, it was this movie. It was this time. It was, it, you know, he, he was appearing on MTV. There right. was merchandise. There was the hotline, the Freddy hotline. Right. There was the video game that had come out for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And mm-hmm. and what that did for me was completely dilute the the you know the the scary aspect of him, which for better or for worse you know was was good for me to move on from being traumatized. Right. But at the same time, um, the the film itself is the first one I think that got into. Even though part three has the the marionetta scene, and and I'm always really uncomfortable with. Uh, uh, I think it's Jennifer's not Jennifer. Um, oh, the, the the punk rock girl. I can't remember. Yeah, uh, Jennifer Rubin. Yeah, that's her. That's uh, her. Taryn. 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 When when you know her scene with the you know Freddie produces the the uh, syringes on his hands. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. But I think the gore factor shifts up or ramps up substantially in part four, even to uncomfortable levels for me. Even though I'm. I'm what are your thoughts? I mean, guess some of the some of the special effects. And it, remember, listeners, this is eighty eight. This is all practical effects. So yeah, and practical effects. I'm sorry, still look better than than CGI effects. Agreed. Especially in horror films. But this is a film that, for the lack of a better term, kind of grossed me out a little bit. And we'll get to part five, which did it far far worse. 
But um, yeah, I mean, I do think this was that's a really good point. I think that's part of why it went more cartoonish, too, is because practical effects were kind of in a one upping place, you know, like how far can we push them? What all can we do? We'll make like a, you know, like the soul pizza or we'll, you know, later the roach motel yeah. thing. Like, you know, it, and I think screaming mad George maybe did the effects on this one from the Stuart Gordon, Brian Yuzna world, which are always disgusting effects. Um, one of my favorites, but yeah, they kind of, and that's sort of my favorite time in horror because I like that stuff. I mean, I do enjoy when they push it and when it's, especially when it's not exactly realistic. So I can appreciate kind of the artistry of the effect without being like totally traumatized that it's a real thing. I'm trying to think about some notable scenes from part four. You mentioned the the land shark, Freddy, Freddy with the sunglasses is always in, in one that sticks in my right. head. What is oh, the, and the waterbed thing? The, the waterbed thing that is great. <laughs> um, Kincaid's death. You mentioned that he has a death in the original script for part uh-huh. three. Kincaid's death to me is still, you know, again, simplistic and primal. He just walks up, Freddie just grabs him by the back of the neck, extends the glove and impales him. That's again, those to me are always the scariest of, of the of the Freddy Krueger deaths mm-hmm. throughout, throughout the movie. What's going on? What are your thoughts or are you aware of? I can't find a definitive reason why Patricia Arquette didn't make the jump into part four other than I completely agree. Yeah. I looked at her resume and I was like, I mean, unless she just didn't want to do, you know, more horror, but I, I had the same thought. I mean, I guess it could have been because her character was being killed off, but then I sort of think if she wanted to come back, her character wouldn't have been killed off and there would have been no Alice. I, yeah, I couldn't quite figure it out because it took her a little while between dream warriors until like wildflower which i think is what made her explode um as a star which was 91 i think so it it was still a couple of years she could have done it (laughs) yeah so you know we talk about something i i kind of we kind of glossed over and i just want to keep it going here part one nancy turns her back on freddie part two freddie sort of just melts away and and jesse's there part three is, is an interesting one you know the um the open burial, you know, the 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 holy water on Freddy's bones. I thought that was very right. very interesting. Uh, part four, um, just look, just he just needs to look in a mirror. I thought I thought I, I know. I, I, I mean, I theoretically I like the idea, um, you know, that like he has to see what he's become. That would work for a normal person, but I was like, he knows, <laughs> he knows what he is. He's not bothered by it. In 1989, I was 11 years old and I went to the movie theater to see the Hulk Hogan extravaganza that was No Holds Barred. Yeah. And that was at 11, as an 11 year old. And this is in, this is in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, where I'm, where I'm originally from. And wrestling is absolutely huge in Canada, still is to this day. I dare I say it's more people like wrestling in Canada than they do in the United States. And I know it's a bold statement, but it's hugely popular up there. We went to go see No Holds Barred, me and my buddy Andrew and my buddy John, Friday night, opening night, and the trailers start playing. And I remember something happened in this movie theater that has never happened before or never happened since. And that is as soon as the lights went down, even before the trailer started playing, everyone in the audience started chanting, ho again, ho again, ho again. Like it was like, a, like we were getting ready to see a wrestling match. 
And the first trailer that played was for Ghostbusters Part 2. I think the second trailer that played was for Back to the Future Part 2. Uh-huh. And the third trailer that played was the teaser trailer for Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, which is the teaser trailer just shows that really gothic-looking baby carriage. And Freddy's mm-hmm. glove pops out of it. When that happened, everyone in the audience started chanting, Freddy, Freddy, Freddy. Uh-huh. And it was that moment, even as an 11-year-old, where I realized that he was super mainstream now. Like, everybody yeah. everybody knew who he was. Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5 is a film I've seen twice. I saw it on home video, I think probably eight, late 89, early 1990. I tried to rewatch it again about 11 or 12 years ago. And... I just can't. And I did not <laughs> I did not rewatch it for our conversation. So I just want the listeners to know I did as much homework as I could, but I I don't like this movie. I don't like I don't like the characters as far as having charisma. I don't like certainly don't like Freddy. I think Freddy's makeup effects are the worst of all the films because his makeup effects change from movie yeah. to movie to movie and I I really don't like this one. Now, I thought I was in the majority when it comes to having a disdain for the dream child. But come to find out, a lot of people really like this movie. And I'm wondering yeah. where you stand on this one. I'll tell you. Um, when I – well, first of all, I think four and five are of a piece, you know, because they are the Alice films. Yes. And the mythology started getting so crazy. In four, it just – in three, they said these are the last of the Elm Street children. Then in four, they do this weird handoff where he's like, you know, reach out and touch someone and you have to bring other people in. And it never quite gelled. And likewise, why she was getting their traits when they would die. I mean, pretty much nothing, even though like it was written by Brian Helgeland of L.A. Confidential, Mystic River, you know, great writer. And the other writers did the Riddick movies. Like, I don't know why it happened, but the mythology got all jacked up in part four. And then um, in part five, you know, some of that continues because then Alice is the character again and uh, gets pregnant, you know, right after graduation. I guess the thing with this one is, I mean, the mythology is still a little crazy. And so that's difficult. And the way she gets pulled into people's dreams still doesn't make sense. And maybe had that made more sense in the previous film, it would have carried through, but it, I never understood it there. At one point there are like three film or three dreams going on at once and they're all crossing into each other. And uh, yeah, so that doesn't make any sense. However, it did have um, the idea of the baby's dream. And I thought that was kind of like at, at the age that I was when I saw it, I thought that was a cool idea. I was like, Oh, that's, you know, creative. And I thought, wouldn't it be terrifying to give birth to Freddie? So I I did think that that was kind of a, an interesting idea to be planted when I was, you know, whatever age that this came out, I guess I would have been like eight. It was really huge. Like it was everywhere. And that kid's face, the dream child, you know, that talks Jacob he was everywhere like with his Freddy face on and somehow like that was even separate from whether the movie was good it was just big it felt like the biggest one somehow at least from my consciousness at the time it's and and it's hard for me to separate that into whether I like it or not 
because it does have a ton of problems. Like I'm the boyfriend. I, you know, I never connected with their relationship or anything. I do like Kelly Jo Minter, who was in a lot of stuff at the time. But yeah, I don't know. I, I all I know is I liked Jacob. I liked the baby stuff, but everything else was a little bit messy for me. Can you tell me? Because sorry I, if that was like a long-winded no, no, way. No, no, that that, that was great. That was great. But can you tell me how Freddie dies in this film? Because for the life of me, I it's been so long, I don't even recall. Um. Okay. So I don't understand it. Okay. I can tell you how it happened, okay. but I don't understand <laughs> it. Um. Okay. So here, you're gonna love it since you haven't seen it in a <laughs> in a long time. Here's the the crazy ass way that this happened. So it's got the kind of conflated identity thing again, except. It's Alice and Amanda Kruger in the dream. Like she imagines herself as Amanda Kruger. And somehow the way that Freddie was kind of brought back in the previous one, Amanda is brought back in this one in order to give birth to Freddie in a dream. That's it, it's it's crazy. And that's like at the beginning <laughs> and it goes crazier from there. So, yeah, she gives birth to Freddie and he is a little Freddie Krueger baby. And he grows up into a big Freddy. And then he's sort of back and trying to get into Alice's baby fetus and dream through it and infect it and make it come out like Freddy. So to stop this, Alice has to go find Amanda Kruger's body, which supposedly she committed suicide after hearing what all Freddy did back in the day. And if she committed suicide, then her soul isn't at rest or whatever. They have to go find her body, kind of like they did with Freddy in Dream Warriors, and bring her back to fight Freddy. So, but here's how that happens. So she sends Kelly Jo Minter up to the tower where Amanda Kruger supposedly died. And she taps a ghost on the shoulder and she's like, thank you. And she's in back in the dream and can fight Freddy. I was, and I don't understand it. I don't know if like her body has been up there for 15 years and no one checked. I, I don't get it at all. But anyway, so somehow she is back in the dream then at the end for the climax. She calls Jacob the kid who has been infected by Freddy to like throw back all the power Freddy gave him onto Freddy. And then it kind of like rips out weird soul things from his back, which I don't know what they are exactly. And then Freddy baby goes back into Amanda <laughs> And Jacob like shrinks to a baby and goes into Alice and Alice is like, yay, my baby's okay. And she, you know, wakes up or whatever. Meanwhile, baby Freddy like rips his way out of Amanda and she's fighting him and they get like sucked into, you know, dream time to fight for all eternity, I guess. It sounds very vaguely familiar. <laughs> it doesn't, I mean, I had to go back and over and over and I was like, what? What happened? And yeah, it, I don't really get it. I, I like the idea that babies dream and then he's trying to get in through the baby. And I like going into Amanda's past, but I don't understand much else. <laughs> That's about it. This movie was not well received. This film did not. It. I mean, all these movies have made money. All these movies make their budget back and then some. But it didn't do the numbers that mm -hmm. Dream Master did. Not even close. Less than half from what I understand. And this is the first time I think that the word franchise fatigue could be brought into the conversation. 
I think that's what it was. I think it just got so big. It was like the dip was inevitable because I don't know that it was really, you know, so much more convoluted than the previous one. It was in 1980. I want to say it was 1984. I think it was 84 that Friday the 13th released part four, the final chapter. (laughs) And um, so it there was a precedent that had been set to let the oh, audience that you know end at four? that well, the, well, no, no, that you could you could announce to the audience that we're going to end this. Oh, so, mm-hmm. so so the precedent had been set, although it hadn't been honored in the sense that a year later a new beginning came out. Right, we get in. Is it? I think it's ninety. Oh, I'm 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 going to re-edit this. It's, I'm either going to ninety one. It was yeah. ninety one. It was ninety one. That Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare comes out. Mm-hmm. And to me, I have no emotion when it comes to this film. <laughs> it's it does not. I don't find it scary in the least. I don't find it graphically, you know, disgusting, gore gore wise. I think you know you could make a a few minor edits here, and uh, you know, a couple ADRs, and it could almost be a PG thirteen rated film. I really am just kind of blasé about Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare. I've seen it probably five or six times. It's like I said, I don't think it's a terrible movie. I don't think it's a good movie. It's just I, I really have no feelings towards the film. I'd like to know what your thoughts are on the film. I mean, it was definitely because I wasn't Friday the 13th was a little ahead of this. And I wasn't as aware of that series until later. So this was the first time I knew you could, you know, like announce it, you know, and kill someone off. And so it was a very big deal. I was like, oh, thank goodness. You know, he's dead. And um, and so I guess that's why it was an event movie, but it does seem weird when it was just, I think, three years earlier that there was the other one. Because this one had, like, celebrity cameos yeah. and 10 minutes of 3D at the end. Um, it was quite the to-do. And I sort of agree. Like, I don't – how he ends up dying for all of this that we've been through, I, I don't know. You know, but – and yet, like, I've watched it a couple of times recently – and it does kind of grow on me. I mean, I think with every Freddy movie, there's an adjustment to what you're expecting and what you just went through with the last movie because they all change a little bit. And it, no, it, it has grown on me, the the Catherine plot of the daughter. and But it's strange. You know, it's strange that, like, um, it's been 10 years and now it's a ghost town. Also, it's the first time I realized that there was a town specifically <laughs> called Springwood. Yeah. You know, it was not about the town, you know, before this. And all of a sudden it's about like Springwood. They do that weird time jump. You know, again, it's only been three years since the last one, but they jumped 10 years. I mean, as far as I can tell, that's what's happened. Well, it's you, not three. It's not 10 years from the beginning you bring of up, the series. You bring up a very good point here because the first Elm Street comes out in 84. The second one comes out in 85. Yet... <laughs> The events of part two happen five years after the events of the first one because we get that from a diary entry uh, from Na- when they when Jesse discovers Jesse and Lisa discover Nancy, right. Nancy's diary. And then Dream Warriors does it, too. It's a I mean, I guess they're sticking with the Jesse timeline, but they say it's been six years or no, maybe it's the script. I might be okay. wrong. Might be the but, what, but, what, but either way. She's supposed to be a hotshot grad student. So 
Tina, it says on the news report in the first one, is 15. So we can assume Nancy is 15. And it's only been, you know, what was it? Three years or something? Or, yeah, three years between the two movies. So she would only be 18. How could she be like a hotshot grad student? Anyway, they start messing with the timeline quite early in the series, and they never stop. So by the time we get to Freddy's Dead, which is 10 years later... From the timeline you and I just discussed, I mean, we're we're in the 2000s as far as yeah. when this is supposed to be. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting that the timeline comes up. But, but this goes back to I, I started doing some calculations on this um, because I was like, hang on, am I missing something? And they also kind of mess around with when Amanda Kruger died. Like the on her headstone in three, it says 1968. But then in part four, they're looking at like newspaper clippings and it's kind of different. It says it's, you know, 30 years from the events of something else. Anyway, it doesn't add up. Okay. (laughs) so they're just they're all over the place. Um, And and in Freddy's Dead, they build in, you know, why he did all of this. And they say it's because they took his child. However, then they show the scenes of his wife finding evidence of his killings. (laughs) <laughs> and his child is there. So it, they didn't take his child. It, even in the one movie, it doesn't add up. We should write a strongly worded letter to the executives at New Line and say, okay, listen, this is the, just kidding around, of course. I mean, it's too, yeah, it's like at some point someone was like, eh, it doesn't matter. It, it, <laughs> and then it has just been off the rails ever since. And Kelly, ultimately, it doesn't matter because that's not what people are, are are tuning into these films for. But, but you're right. No, but, you know, I started thinking – in a weird way, I think it has actually contributed to the dreamlike nature of the series is that things don't quite add up and that the rules are kind of like dream rules and the mythology is kind of always changing and that it's kind of like my first interaction with it being kind of gossip on a playground. You know, it's it gets spread through these weird whispers. Like I always thought growing up that Freddie was a school janitor. I don't know why I thought that. That must have been what I heard on the playground. And then, you know, eventually I learned, no, he was a, you know, a janitor at like a power plant or chemical plant. But then in Scream, Wes Craven plays, of you know, he's dressed like Freddy Krueger as a janitor in a school. Yep. <laughs> so the whole, it's like this constantly moving thing between imaginings and reality and then the imaginings influence reality and it's just kind of a big old enjoyable mess in 2000 and what oh geez let me say that again i've lost track of i can't believe it's 2018 in 94 in 94 i remember seeing in 93 seeing the trailer for for wes craven's new nightmare Mm-hmm. And what was really interesting is you don't get the big reveal till the end when freddie pops out and says miss me this was the time I was 16 by the time this movie came out. And so I was able to, this was the first Elm Street film I was able to see in the theater. And my friends, mm-hmm. and I, we, you know, we, we took the drive up there. And I remember, I guess I, I I'm going to chalk it up to not being old enough to understand, you know, what Wes Craven was trying to do with this film. Because I remember leaving the, leaving the theater, you know, severely dissatisfied with Hmm. with the film Mm -hmm. and and saying to my friends it it was it was okay it was all right now several years later revisiting the film i think it's a masterpiece of a horror film and i think it's 
arguably one of the best in the franchise. If you can call it yeah. part of the franchise, because I don't really think of it as part of the franchise. I think it's I don't really either. I, I, I kind of think of it as the first six are Freddy's story, and this is something else. I think this is it's it's obviously foreshadowing what Craven would do shortly afterwards with the Scream films. Uh-huh. But it was a very smart, self-aware horror film that played into I mean, I think this was kind of kind of and, and correct me if you think I'm wrong here. Kind of Craven's kind of fuck you to the sequels in, in a way. I actually think it's a little different. I mean, I think in a way he didn't want because Wes Craven's such a nice guy. <laughs> well, yeah, and, okay. I, you know what? I might I might have used the harsh language that probably. No, but prob- I think he sort of. I think that's kind of how he personally felt, and yet that he didn't want to trash people who loved the you know existing series. So he just kind of sidestepped and said, "I'm not going to say any of that didn't happen," you know. Like, but I'm going to do something new and build on it. And what do you think of the movie? Um, I mean, at the time, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, I probably would have been, you know, 13 or 14. And, you know, I guess like Last Action Hero had been just before and it kind of did the movie real life thing. And I was a big fan of this John Candy movie, Delirious, that sort of did that. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't really aware of like Purple Rose of Cairo or Sherlock Jr. And, you know, I, I didn't quite realize there was such a precedent for it, but it still feels totally fresh. I still think if you did it today, you know, if you did it with like, I guess that wouldn't work. But I was going to say like Jigsaw or something, I you know, some evil thing and made it like, oh, it's just a movie. I still think it would be really creative and interesting. I, I will say about Freddie's makeup. And I recently read that Wes Craven agreed. I don't like his makeup as much in this one. Sure. I can agree with you I think that. it's it's kind of weird and tendony instead of burns. And I'm, I'm not as into it. And also his sweater is kind of like from The Gap. You know, it's <laughs> all nice and new and fresh. <laughs> but maybe that was a conscious choice. Like, you know, he's reborn. He's fresh. He's not the old battered, tattered Freddy. But I actually, I found this movie really interesting because... It is the only movie in the franchise with no teenagers in it. And it is also the only movie where an actual kid is being harassed by Freddy Krueger. I mean, I guess you could say Jacob kind of is, but he's more of a kind of colleague in Dream Child. In this one, it's like, no, a child is having nightmares and is tormented and is scared of Freddy. And so, like, that's what Freddy was into. Why is he always chasing teenagers? Now, with, with Wes Craven's new nightmare, there is only two death scenes in the movie. There's a couple that happen uh, right. that are that are mentioned, uh, you know, you know, a couple of the effects guys passed away. It's mentioned that that happened, but their death scene at the beginning of the film is a fake out. But they're both very personal to it, her. Exactly. That's it's what I was about horrible. to say. Exactly. Like you feel them so strongly. It's like, oh, my gosh, they just killed, you know, Heather Langenkamp's husband. Exactly. That's horrible. I, I was just gonna, was going to say, yeah, they, they, these two scenes own, bring so much more weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, of course, the scene with Julie, the babysitter. And I know that the, the kid, the way they filmed it, he was never actually witnessing what was happening, which I thought – I mean, I didn't realize that until after I saw the documentary on that. But I was like, how traumatic must this be just for the, for the young actor to even be participating in this brutal scene? 
which is of course yeah. a callback to Tina's death, all of the original film. But yeah, no. You- well, and I actually that was one thing I liked about this film was even for Heather Langenkamp. I mean, again, at that age, I thought it was so brilliant because something I had always wondered was the actors in the movie, aren't they scared of him? You know, like, aren't they scared to be there with Freddie? And so the fact that, like, she loves Robert England, and yet when he comes out as Freddie on the talk show, she's still, like, unnerved, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes, they are. They are still scared. That's a good observation. No, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. Briefly, because I'd like, I'd love to know, you know, what your thoughts are going from Wes Craven's New Nightmare into Scream, the most Uh self-aware you know, horror film I think ever made. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear just briefly your thoughts on, on Scream. It kicked off such an enormous, you know, wave of the return of kind of teen slasher movies. Um, teen, maybe even teen movies in general. I'm trying to remember when that really started coming back so hard. But yeah, I mean, it. all of my friends who weren't interested in horror at all, all had to go see Scream and had to go see it multiple times and could quote Scream. And, and it was another one where I just thought it was so, I don't know, maybe that's a teen thing, but I just thought it was so brilliant that it was self-aware. And I, you know, I don't know why that speaks particularly to teens, but when someone kind of acknowledges that you're usually fed bullshit, it's like, whoa, I can trust <laughs> this person, you know? I mean, once you become an adult, it, it doesn't have quite the same power, but yeah, I mean, and Drew Barrymore being killed off in the middle, I thought, or not in the middle, in the beginning, was, you know, it was just such a huge story. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to imagine that happening now. I, I don't know that you could gain everyone's attention in the same way, right. but it sure did then. Yeah, it was definitely a movie that I, I didn't see it the first weekend it came out, but that was, you know, this was a film, you're right, the, the word of mouth that that kicked off with this movie. It was one of those ones where I think it had been out for about three weeks and everyone's like, you know, you need to go see this this scream movie. And I remember seeing it and just just thoroughly enjoying the film. And 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 being I think it was it ninety five or ninety six when it came out. I think it was ninety six. I think it was too. By that point, just already becoming a uh, you know a huge movie lover, you know, consuming as much movies as I many movies as I can, purposely getting an apartment that was three blocks from a multiplex so I could walk there if I had to <laughs> and understanding the majority of the pop culture references and particularly the movie references that were happening in that film. Right. And I was yeah. just, I was just loving it. And uh, I, I think that is like, I always enjoy whenever a film makes audiences who aren't necessarily cinephiles more aware of other film history you know, because a lot of my friends who didn't even care about movies, and now I have none of those, but, um, you know, in <laughs> high school, you're around people who don't share your interests. And um, yeah, they were even like, I got to go see Scream. I was like, what? That's not your thing, you know? But then they're like, now I got to see Psycho, or now I got to see, yeah. you know, these other movies that are mentioned. And I'm like, okay, so that's a good thing. You know, it's spreading the gospel. Um, and it's always cool when it's a horror movie that makes such a big splash. I think that's why I didn't mind when Freddy became more mainstream is I was always kind of into the idea of horror. And I like that didn't always get to be at the forefront, you know, and so like where everyone knew about it. And it because sometimes horror is treated sort of like pornography, 
And so every now and then I like it when people have to acknowledge that something in horror is good or has, you know, value. Yeah, it's awesome. I agree. That's and it it happens few and far between, but when it does happen, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, Get Out was kind of like that too. It's like, yeah, all horror isn't um, something you're not going to be interested in. In '93, taking a nod from Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare, New Line acquires the rights to Friday the Thirteenth, or they acquired the rights to Jason Voorhees. I'm not sure. They, I don't think they were able to call the movie Friday the 13th, but they released oh, Jason gosh. Goes to Hell the final Friday. And I'm only mentioning this because I I don't really like that movie. I saw that in the theater and didn't really. But the end scene, the end scene when Jason's mask is laying there and Freddy's glove comes up and pulls it down, uh, presum- uh-huh. presumably into hell. Of course, that's just, you know, just a kind of a tongue in cheek reference to the fact that that's what everybody wants. They want a Freddy versus Jason movie. And it's I never quite understood why it wasn't Freddy versus Jason versus Michael Myers. Sure. They were kind of I mean, it was always Freddy and Jason. Like, which one do you like best? But it was really kind of always a trilogy. I, I agree. You know, we'll have to do a discussion on the Halloween film sometimes because they 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 are they're an interesting set of films for me. And I yeah. However, the interesting thing about them is they never do seem to go the comical route. Never. They never get get lured into that. Yeah, that's then that's an interesting one. So we'll, maybe maybe we're already uh, you know planting the seeds of a, another conversation <laughs> here. I'll tell you a fun little story. August of two thousand and three. I am by this point. I'm I've been living in Florida since nineteen ninety eight. But I and you and I had talked about this last time that I used to live in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh huh. And um, one of my closest friends was getting married, and I was in the wedding party, and so I flew up to Knoxville. The wedding was on a Saturday. I was flying back on a Monday, so I had a Sunday to myself, and that happened to be the weekend that Freddy versus Jason was coming out. And I remember being so hyped up for this movie, <laughs> and and maybe it just had been up, just it had been thirteen years since an Elm Street film came out, and I was treating this more like an Elm Street film than I was a Friday the Thirteenth film. It sort of is more of one. I I and I agree. I agree with you. But I'll tell you, this is 2003 is just before we have the smartphones mm-hmm. with with the GPS and the part of Knoxville that I was in was was com- was completely like the opposite side of where I used to live. And I, I remember I had to buy a newspaper to, <laughs> to, to, to check the show times yeah. of when this film was going to be showing. And I. I remember getting lost trying to find a particular movie theater because it wasn't showing at the big one I thought it was going to be showing at, which was I thought was odd. Uh, anyway, <laughs> long story short, I ended up going to some – I ended up going to some one of these old movie theaters that didn't have the stadium seating. That was like you know just an old like from the 70s and 80s, early 90s type, type theaters to see it that had terrible sound and a bad yeah. picture. And I remember – that even that was not diminishing my expectations for the film. Like I was just I was so amped up for this movie, but I saw it in the worst possible setting, disruptive, loud audience, terrible sound. Yeah. Uh, this was still this was not digital. This was still running off an actual print. Right. I remember going back to the theater early Monday morning, a different theater because my flight was until the afternoon and watching it 
in a much better setting. So I actually saw the movie twice opening weekend. And after all this buildup, I'm like, huh, it was all right. You know, I wasn't I wasn't crazy about the film because it Well, we'll get into it. Please tell me your thoughts about the film first or what your reaction was. What were you doing in 2003? You know, I again, I hadn't had my Jason moment. Okay. I mean, I knew he existed, obviously, but I wasn't a fan, I wouldn't say. And so it was a half of a film to me. It was like, well, I want to see Freddy, you know, Um, and it's definitely grown on me. My favorite thing about it at the time was just the cast. I really liked those people. Um, I liked when Monica Kina was, I mean, I guess she kind of still is in Scream Queen mode. Um, I liked Catherine Isabel from Ginger Snaps. And and I liked him getting into the hypnosil thing. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, again, the the logic of you know the the like how he brings him back and everything like bringing jason back so that they'll remember freddy i was just like gosh you know i can overlook it but can't we work a little harder on this stuff <laughs> why does it have to be something i have to get over but you know i kind of i liked I liked that it kind of embraced the fun side of Freddy and also had the primal side of Jason. Like, you know, it had that weird caterpillar. I don't know what it is, like hookah bong Freddy (laughs) that like killed the stoner. And I was like, good. You know, I'm glad it can have fun with itself. So, yeah, I actually kind of really enjoy it. And then the nose job thing, the nose job kill. You know, I, I thought it was kind of fun. But again, the mythology is just... It always leaves me wanting. So when I rewatched the film about a week ago, I went into it with a very open mind. And again, the mythology, this, this, this goes back to, there's a particular scene where Monica is, is talking. Am I saying that character's name right? Uh, I don't remember her character. I know her. The actress is Monica Keenan. Monica, okay, Monica Keenan. Yeah, I can't remember. Oh God, for the life of me, I'll edit I don't that out. Who she, I don't remember that the, character. There's, there's a scene in the in the hallway where Monica Keenan's talking to Kelly Rowland and and the, and the other girl oh, about you know the you know the, the death has already happened. The, the 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 guy's already been folded up in the bed, which is an amazing scene. That right. Was, that was a take your breath away moment in the theater. I remember everybody audibly gassed at that particular scene. And she's going, it's just, you know, there's some 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 guy named Freddie and it's one, two, three. And then here comes the guys, Jason Ritter, um, Jason Ritter and his his buddy. I can't, uh-huh. I can't remember his name, the Rampage guy. She starts singing the song and he finishes it. And this goes back to something you said earlier when we were talking, like, how do you guys know this? Like, mm-hmm. if, if, if Freddie's been, if you guys have been on Hypnosil and you don't know anything about Freddie, how, how do you know the song? Like, there was too many convenient, like, there's a line where. Monica Keenan says, you know, Freddie died by fire, Jason by water. How can we use this? How do you know that? Mm-hmm. Like, like little, yeah. little, little things like that. How do you know that? Like, uh, so, so little, little logical, the illogical things that have happened in the movie still bother me a little bit. But when you get to the core of the movie, especially rewatching it, I thought it, I, I, I found it fun. I love the third act. I think it's, I think there's some really fun. Yeah, it fun. really got strong toward the end. It, 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 it did. I thought it was interesting that Freddie, if correct me if I'm not wrong, only kills one person in this movie. 
if if I remember correctly. Yeah, maybe. He, he, uh, he, I mean, because the, the um, nose thing isn't necessarily a uh, kill. It was, yeah, it was, it was because she was just kind of fell asleep there and it just happened mm-hmm. in the dream and she wakes up and she's okay. But I think he just burns or, or, or kills the one kid who he says, he says, I want you to give him a message. I want you to, Freddie's like, I want right. you to give him the message. I won't do it. I won't do it. First of all, if Freddie's saying to me, I want you to give them a message, I'm like, okay. No problem. You got it. No problem at all. Just need me, can I yeah. get a pen or do you just need me to remember this? You know, that's like, one of my favorite things about like, uh, the ring where at the end they have to make the copy and show somebody it's like well then we all are gonna have to see it we're just gonna all have to make copies yeah. <laughs> like, you know there's no reason for more people to die sorry just make your copy it'll all be fine exactly so so um i would have liked to have seen freddie maybe some more freddie kills because jason does the ma- majority of, of the, ki- the killing in this film well, and Freddie carries the majority of the plot. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess makes sense because Jason never really had much plot. Which, you know, something that just for the whole series overall, I had recently, for a project, plotted out all of the Harry Potter movies. Okay. And, like, just making the list of the scenes and, you know. Uh, and so those are all movies with a mystery. Every movie has a mystery underlying this the year long story and um in nightmare on elm street it's the same way and i feel like jk rowling is a huge nightmare on elm street fan because <laughs> there are a lot of similarities um but that is something that i think people forget about freddy movies is that there is always the mystery of trying to figure out how to stop him you know which the other movies don't necessarily like freddy and jason don't have that it's always like you have to learn something about how Freddie works or yeah. about his past or whatever. Um, there's always kind of a learning component that I enjoy. So, and Freddie versus Jason has it too. Yeah, and and, and and talking about the third act here, when we finally get down to the Freddie versus Jason, one thing that I was thinking about here, and and again, you brought this up earlier, especially with part two, is. You know, they bring Freddy into the real world, which I'm assuming he has his dream powers because he's he's holding his own against Jason, something that no one's ever been able to do. Yeah. And so I guess that maybe answers the question that he he, he does have the dream powers or, he, or they're at least acknowledging that, yes, when he's in the real world, he definitely has the dream powers. Yeah. I mean, it seems that way. I guess I wish... I wish I didn't have to make such assumptions. Exactly. I wish I could just be told <laughs> yeah. how it works. It would be, I think, a lot scarier if, I mean, again, it goes back to the whole thing. Is it scarier what you know or what you don't know? And I think both can be scary as long as you're clear about the fact that you're not going to tell me things, you know, like, but in general, I prefer to know what's going on, what the rules are, or I'm distracted from the fear by being confused. Right. No, that's, that's a you nailed it that's exactly it that's exactly it well and honestly that happens even with cinematography with a lot of horror and that i mean i don't know if you want to go into the reboot but oh yes um, oh yes but uh when things are too dark and i can't see i'm not as scared you know if i can't see like i need to be able to have some clarity to know what i'm supposed to be afraid of but i will say this about one last thought about freddy versus jason especially rewatching it for this one is when you for me for me it was 
when I finally say, okay, this movie is about putting Freddy and Jason on screen together, duking it out, going at it. And when they finally do, in my opinion, it doesn't disappoint. So, yeah. So, it, I, it, and then a fact. There is a power to it. Just seeing them together. There's, yeah. there's some kind of weird power. Like, this is happening. It is a movie. It's not Universal Halloween Horror Nights. Exactly. There, there's something to it. And I love the fact that it ends with, you know, a wink from Freddy, letting you know, hey, hey. Like, that's, that to me, that is the most self-aware thing that that movie does when Freddie winks mm-hmm. at the camera at the very end, because it's like, well, of course, neither of them are dead because right. we've got 35, they never movies are. to prove it. So, right. so I like that. So, so in my, well, and Freddie was interesting because like, even in the beginning, he narrates, yeah. you know, yeah. he says, they tried to do this to me. And you know, it, it was kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of interesting. Freddie Krueger as, narrator yeah he he was he was bringing the exposition in at the very beginning Mm -hmm. and i'm going okay and i was i was kind of into it that was yeah strangely on board with this i was like okay you know maybe he could have been narrating or doing some voiceovers in some previous yeah i could have used some narration on some of these um to to give me some facts so to talk about the remake we need to first understand that at least the way I the way I perceive it is that the Nightmare on Elm Street films are Robert England films. Yeah, they are. He is the star of the movie. He is. I mean, Heather Langenkamp's got a, a, a franchise arc. There's the Alice arc. There's the Kristen arc. But the reason why people were going to see a Nightmare on Elm Street was for Freddy Krueger. There's, there's, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any debate on that, right? You agree with me? No, on that? no, yeah. So when we got, when we get into, I think it was late 2009, and and this was right around the time, and it, I think it started in 2003 with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but the Plat- mm-hmm. Platinum Dooms Company was was remaking a bunch of films, and we got Halloween, we got Friday the 13th in 2009, which I, I agree with you, I think was a very good movie. I didn't think they were going to touch the Elm Street films, to be honest with you. I, I, wasn't I keeping... liked the other two. Yeah. I liked the other two reboots. It didn't work with this one. No, and I was really surprised, because I was starting to pay attention to it. I was starting to see that, yep, I was going to the fan sites and seeing the, the still shots of you know, a police car that said Springwood on it. And I was uh-huh. starting to, to follow the, the gestation of this film getting made. And yet at the in the back of my mind, I kept saying, well, they, they can't do this without Robert England. And when I saw the trailer and you get the first reveal of Freddy, which I understand the makeup was, well, the CGI slash makeup. Was, right, exactly. Was intended to look more accurate what a more accurate burn victim would look like and and i'm I'm but he's a dream burn victim exactly i saw this opening day even though everything inside of me said you know this is not gonna work i'm such (laughs) an elm street person i have been since i was seven that i was gonna go see it and i applaud the film for trying to be dark gritty violent uh sort of hitting the reset button from sort of the comical humor that they had the the the, the later elm street films were made uh-huh. but that's about as much as i can applaud for the film i 
I agree. Again, I think, you know, one of the things that makes horror always, almost always of interest is that you do get a lot of good young actors or, yeah. you know, and, and sometimes good, you know, mature actors as the parents and stuff, you know, in smaller roles. And so, you know, you've got Rooney Mara. I really like Kyle Gallner, who plays Quentin. Um, I mean, you know, Jackie Earl Haley. It was it made sense in theory, but it just didn't work in practice. And I do think I mean, we've already kind of discussed our thoughts on practical and digital. But I think that, you know, when I saw a little bit of the behind the scenes and I saw green screen on his face, I was like, what? Why? Like, and he was saying he was spending, you know, three hours in the makeup chair. So why do that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if that was it. And I was actually looking at like Freddie's picture on one of the DVD menus and thinking, you know, Robert England doesn't have like the most just as himself, the most wide open eyes. And yet as Freddie, they really make his eyes pop a lot. And for Jackie Earl, and I think that make that helps you be interested and identify you know, with him and Jackie Earl Haley, they've got him totally blacked out. It Like I could never relate to him. And then his voice was so low. And I, again, I get it that they decided Wes Craven always wanted him to be scarier. Let's just go scary. Let's not go funny. But I just, it zapped it of all the fun. Yeah. I mean, of all the, any, all the lightness period, you know, even the lightness of the cinematography, it was just too dark for me to see what was going on in some cases. Yeah. You make a good point about the actors, the uh, Mooney Mara, especially, you know, she's gone on to do some really, really good stuff. This was directed by Samuel bear. And I, if I, if I remember reading correctly, this was like his first feature film. He had directed the Nirvana film. I mean, the Nirvana video smells like team spirit. I mean, that's the weird thing is Wesley Strick wrote the script um, and I love Wesley Strick, but watching some of the behind the scenes stuff, my impression was that the someone on the executive side and the production side, something went wrong there. Yeah, because again, the acting was fine. I don't necessarily have any issues with the script other than like why reboot it. But but again, they had done fine on the other two franchises. It, but something went wrong in the concept of Freddy, which, again, every Elm Street sequel seems to have this challenge is, are you going to know what the real appeal of Freddy is? And this one didn't seem to. No. And I'm, I was just going over um, Samuel Bear's filmography. And, and it looks to me that Nightmare on Elm Street in 2010 was his first feature film, although he had done plenty of music videos everything uh -huh. from from green day to david bowie to of course nirvana whole cranberries i mean collective soul he, he some of the most famous uh music videos of the early 90s blind melons no rain i mean he mm -hmm. so so he's a he was a very good conceptual and visual director but i'll agree with you yeah they, they it's it's a very dark film and then there was one decision that in the original elm street and i just handle this very delicately. Freddy Krueger wasn't originally a child murderer. Yeah, I was curious about your thoughts on that. He was he was originally 
Well, I don't know if it was that he was a child molester and a murderer. They never say he. They, she, um, Ronnie Blakely says he was a filthy child murderer. And and the original script, it was supposed to be. I think the line would have been he was a filthy child molester. But there had been something going on in the real world where there had been a series of awful things going on, and you know, I believe Craven made the decision to change it to a child murderer, but the remake decides to keep the original right which i think you should have just stuck with the child murder thing because it it, it adds a level of creepiness agree. i think i mean it would be interesting as its own movie but in terms of trying to change or reboot a franchise i still don't think people are comfortable with it like again I know it sounds crazy, but because he is a child murderer, it's not like it's so great. (laughs) It's terrible. But there's something about the child molesting, like child murder can be about rage, you know, and child molesting makes it not okay to get excited for a Freddy movie. Exactly. There's something, there's some kind of turn it gives it, which it may have been fine in the original had there been no sequels, but I just don't think that there's so far you can go with that. Yeah. So whether, whether Craven had the foresight to recognize that, which I don't think he did, cause I don't think he ever intended for this to be a franchise. Right. But, but that was, but it was always a rumor. I mean, people would be like, yeah, he's this child molester. Like it, it would, it kind of became bigger than what was actually said in the films. Yeah. And there was kind of this, I mean, if you ask people, probably some people will say he was a child molester. Like that would be their take on it or what they heard. But technically he wasn't. And and for them to do this in the reboot makes it to where you'll never be able to like, let, let's say the movie had been hugely successful. You would never have been able to build on the, the new Freddie brand you know the the, the new, backstory the and, new jackie earl yeah. haley freddy like oh let's go we gotta go see the jackie earl haley haley's playing freddy against no because he's a fucking piece of shit yeah you know? well and then it gets into like i mean you always wonder what happened to freddy to make him kill anyway but if it's like to make him molest and kill it's like then oh god then freddy is like a sad thing also it's like it just takes all of the sounds bad but the fun out of it yeah it just no you're right it just it gives it a dark turn. And of course, Jackie Earl Haley had just kind of played a child molester. Little so it's sort of yeah. like, oh, yeah, so he can pull it off. But it's like <laughs> not with Freddie. What are your you you live out in in Los Angeles? What is the what's the rumblings on a potential reboot of Nightmare on Elm Street? Are you hearing anything out there? Um, No, I mean, I saw online just preparing for this that apparently there was some reboot in the works by a uh, writer David Johnson who did Orphan and uh the new Aquaman the Conjuring 2 and uh he used to be Darabont's assistant okay but again sometimes with these big properties they'll announce things like that or they may you know what do you call it commission a script to be written and then it never necessarily happens so i don't i don't know how real it is but it it's posted on IMDb mm-hmm. Okay. With no date. With a, yeah, with a just a in pre-production that type of thing. Yeah, okay. no date, no cast, no anything but the writer. So, but again, they're calling it a reboot. So it's like the same original story again. 
Yeah, which we don't need to revisit. We could get into whole. I really don't. I mean, there, as we've discussed, there are plenty of things that need explored. You know, the original story is not it. No. That... I mean, who knows? I mean, again, the fact that he was, that he did start out with Daremont, like maybe it's going a little more back to the source, but I don't know. I, I really don't want to see the same story again. But unfortunately, if history is any indicator, that's probably <laughs> if Spider-Man is any yeah. indication, exactly. it'll be the same thing again. So, but again, it's going to be hard. I mean, Robert England is such a—that's kind of an insurmountable problem if you're going to do that same story. There, there's enough time that's gone by that people our age. It's been eight years since the reboot. You have to assume that if this project gets a green light even if it's fast-tracked you're talking 2020 2021 when it comes out because you know we're already towards the latter part of 2018 so they probably banking on a new generation of the core audience which is of course yeah. teenagers mm -hmm. so well know. and i think they would still like it because i mean if if done properly but uh you know, because what is it? The um, Insidious movies, mm -hmm. you know, where they cross over to that kind of weird world. It's not really a dream world, but it's something else. Uh, you know, they, there's a basis for it that they go to see all the time. It should work. It should. So, okay. So, Kelly, I cannot begin to thank you for, for joining me on this episode. This has probably been the most interesting in-depth conversation I've ever had regarding the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And I think it, it definitely is for me too. It doesn't even feel like it was a podcast. It feels like I was just talking to you on the phone, just talking to a friend about the Elm Street series because it's, it's been, it's been awesome. So thank you so much for joining me on this was, this was great. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I mean, it has been probably since middle school that I've talked this in depth about like Freddie's past <laughs> and, sure. uh, and then obviously there have been several films since then so I have not had this um, much of an in-depth discussion with someone who was up to date and had rewatched the film sure. and and really knew what they were talking about well it's it's been awesome so so Kelly uh, again thank you so much for coming on the show it was it was awesome having you and I look forward to having you back really soon if uh, you're on Twitter or Instagram, anywhere that people can can follow you to keep keep updated with uh, what you're working on, and of course with the the upcoming release of your books. Yeah, I've actually been quite absent, but probably when I release my books, I will be back on. But um, I'm at at nilblogget, kind of like Troll Two's nilbog, but nilblog. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I should be back entering the world of society soon so thank you so much and um we'll definitely talk soon thank you kelly all right thank you so much 